Hello and welcome to this episode of Homeroom History, the podcast. I'm Grace. I'm Michelle. And uh, this week we are doing famous relatives. No, relatives of famous. Yes. The title. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that will not be the title that goes out. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so kind of people who are really famous, but then like a lesser known relative mm-hmm. of that famous person. So, and you're going yes. to first uh, this episode. Yes. So I went even further because my person who's attached to the famous person is um, connected to someone further who I'm going to talk about first because okay. they're... F- You'll get, I'll, get, I'll get explained. Okay, yeah. Okay, so the two people I'm doing is Ellen Key and Mama Borthwick. Right, okay. I don't recognise either of those names. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm going to start with Ellen Key, and then I'll go to the, the other one. So she was born on the 11th of December, 1849, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So her father was Emil Key, um, and they... Their ancestry goes back to Scotland, um, and it's they think their last name was Mackay, but they changed it when they came to Sweden, and then um, they had, like, um, big army people in the Thirty Years' War, but then they came over to Sweden at some point. So he was the founder of the Swedish Agrarian Party. Okay. And he frequently contributed to the Swedish newspaper Often, Often Posten, which I think is the daily newspaper. So he was big on like agriculture, um, and he bought this like big mansion, um, where he's trying to like fulfill an agricultural experiment, which they didn't go into that much, but that's why he bought this mansion where they like she grew up. <laughs> so her mother was Sophie Posse Key, um, and she was just born into an aristocratic family, and then married Emil. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ellen was the first child of six. And um, so they were, so the children, kids. I know, <laughs> the children were like very severely punished if they were rude to the servants. Oh. Um, yeah, which I think is good, but also like don't punish your kids. <laughs> yeah, don't severely punish your kids. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm like, respect, but not that much respect. Yeah. So they they had to serve themselves breakfast and supper with milk and coarse bread and they ate standing up. Don't know why. Oh. It just said. <laughs> That's weird. Mm-hmm. And for the midday family dinner table, um, when they had their food there, they were not allowed to speak. Only the adults were allowed to speak at okay. the table. So the, the kids lived in the attic of the manor house that they had. Um, which was really far away from their parents' bedroom. <laughs> they couldn't have spared any rooms. It was just the attic. Yeah. And, like, it was a big deal to Ellen when she got, like, her first room when she was, like, 10 or 11. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were kind of just left to, like, entertain themselves. And if they had any issues, they'd just have to sort it out themselves. <laughs> and because she was the first child, she became, like, the little mother was what she was nicknamed. Yeah. And she kind of acted as the person who was, like, between the kids and the parents. Um, yeah. And then they had, like, private tutors. And their mother taught them a bit as well. 
<laughs> the mother remembered that she had children <laughs> for those few minutes of the day when they needed to be educated. Yeah. So she was quite a um, shy and introspective child. She loved mm-hmm. like reading and she loved being outside. She loved nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and her father had a massive library and she would spend all her time there. And um, she loved reading the very early Scandinavian myth, myths and epics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she said later that she was more influenced by nature and books than by people. Aww. I know. And then, like, throughout her, like, teens and 20s, she kept a, like, diary called the Thought mm. Book, which she did lots of, like, intense soul-searching, apparently, because she didn't, she didn't like talking to other people about anything, so she'd just write it all down. hmm Yeah, and then skip ahead a bit, um... In 1869, she enrolled in Jenny Rosander's teaching course for young ladies, which offered a three-year liberal arts course. Oh. And so this was the first time she encountered, like, natural science. And so she was introduced to Darwin. um, And at first she hated the idea of evolution. But then... Because, like, this is 1869. It's still new. And, like, people hated it at that point. But then she started to think, okay, this kind of, like, it's hard to ignore. It makes sense. And then she met the editor of a magazine called The Home Journal, Mm -hmm. which advocated for the liberation of women. Yeah. And then in the early 1870s, she began contributing. Um, She was writing book reviews, translations, biographical sketches of English writers. She particularly liked um, George Eliot. Oh. Mm-hmm. And she wrote essays about her own, like, developing feminist thought. What? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then in 1888, the family had to give up their beloved mansion. And all the books were sold. It's very sad. Mm. Um, and so she had to kind of find a way to support herself and her family. Um, why did... Why couldn't... What happened? I don't... So, so all the research on her is very, very minimal. <laughs> right. So yeah. it is hard to really understand why. It By the looks of it, I think her dad just kind of let the finances slip. Um, okay. <laughs> um, and, like, there's obviously six of the kids, so it's not all up to her, but I don't know if she felt obligated to help them. Um, but then she moved to Stockholm and because she'd already done some volunteer teaching, she mm. became an instructor at her friend Anna Whitlock's private school for girls. And then she became a lecturer on um, Swedish civilization at the People's Institute, which was new at this point. Oh. Um, and she spent 20 years there talking and speaking to working class men and women. And, like, even though she was shy in, like, normal life, she was very, very good at public speaking. What an inspiration. I know. And then she began to lecture throughout the whole of Sweden, and then she ventured abroad, and she had a lot of enthusiastic fans in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I missed out. So during all this time, she is writing a lot of, um, feminist texts yeah as well as doing all the speaking 
But yeah, I think I just missed that. <laughs> so did she, did like that then have a specific like readership in Germany? No, I don't, I think it did, they did go to Germany, but like it not, it's more like in Sweden where it was big. That's, yeah, no worries then. We got that. But she, she said so she didn't join the feminist um, Frederica Bremer's society, even though she like greatly admired her. Um, and she was the author of Hertha, um, Frederica was, which was the Sweden's first feminist novel. Oh, whoa. It's weird yeah. that they could like pinpoint when that first know, feminist yeah. novel was, because that's still a bit wishy-washy in like yeah. UK. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could argue any text, really. I mean, not any, but like... Yeah, one written this year with a first <laughs> feminist novel. Yeah. But she had a lot of um, sort of literary friends. So she had a close friendship with the novelist Victoria Benedictson and Sophia Kovaleskia. So I think she both wrote, she wrote biographies for these women later in life. And so um, Sophia, she was a Russian novelist and mathematician. And so in, a, in Russia, she was denied higher edu- education because she's a woman. Um, so she fought mm-hmm. her way to an academic degree in Germany and then got a position at the Stockholm University where she was teaching. Okay. So, yeah, so she had like, she was very opinionated. She was like writing loads of this, like throughout her whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, loads of articles, literary criticism, translated books. Um, so some of her, like, beliefs was she didn't she didn't like royalism. And um, she thought politics were corrupt. She, um, she did not like, she, like, 95% of Sweden are Lutheran. And she hated Christianity, but she loved Jesus. Yeah, I, I can see how they're different. Um, And she said that Eve's fault was not tasting forbidden fruit, but betraying her sex. Which I don't quite understand, to be honest. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. I don't don't get it, but yeah. She claimed that Christianity, um, with its doctrine of original sin, was a religion without hope or a backbone. Okay. And she really liked Friedrich Nietzsche. And mm-hmm. she loved the idea um, as a religion of faith in life, rather than... That's quite, like, faith in life, and then she likes Nietzsche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and she said, which to us, I think it sounds quite dodgy, but it, I think it means well. So she said that a stronger and finer race of human beings could be created she, um, through the care of loving parents and a new and wiser educational system. Why does that sound dodgy? I don't know, it's just like a stronger, finer race. I immediately think Hitler. Oh, I just meant like human race. Like... I know, it's just, I just think Nazis. <laughs> oh right no. no I don't think she was talking about eugenics I think she was just talking about like good no, upbringing wait, she, she likes eugenics we're gonna get onto that oh but no but it's new at this point so it's yeah no. um, why why do they always like eugenics so she she supported women's suffrage and she said that there's no reason why a woman's hand should be soiled by a ballot paper than by a cooking 
cooking recipe. Okay. But then she claimed that just aiming for suffrage was too narrow of a goal. Um, And she wanted the attention to be on developing women as true individuals. I mean, yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the three major issues that she, like, tried to devote her life to was the need for a new and free relationship between men and women Mm -hmm. um the importance of motherhood and the demand for a new educational system so the womanhood bit um motherhood sorry is the very weird part of like her whole feminist views yeah i get what she means by it because she's saying that like if you treat your kids well then the kid your kids will become like better human beings but it's the fact that she kind of puts that solely on the mother that's the unpleasant bit yeah well i mean she kind of believes that a woman's true calling is to be a mother like you can choose not to be but um yeah, so, because in Sweden at this time, there was a a year-long military service that was required for all men. And so she thought that young women should have been, have spent a year being taught in economics, household matters, hygiene, childcare, and eugenics. <laughs> uh, what? Wait, 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 wait. So the four basic things that she... Four, four basic things that she thought were key for the women, women to know. Yeah. Included eugenics. It does say that at the time it was a fairly new and not yet discredited school of thought. So. I don't think it's, I don't know. I, I get, I get that like most of the like modern hang up of eugenics would probably be so like because we've seen it in action go incredibly badly. But the mm. idea that you would literally be, I don't know, you're basically like telling groups of people that they shouldn't live, shouldn't have lived because of something that they have or something that they are or something that, yeah. To me, that just reigns yeah. like problematic from any um Yeah, this era. is her most like problematic point, like that in yeah. the motherhood. Because she, she, there's another bit that she says about um, women working whilst raising children distracts them from their main goal of, like, raising a child. child. And, like, I get that you need to raise children well in order to, like, develop society. But it, it's up to men as well. It's not just on the yeah. women. Mm-hmm. So she saw um, sexual life as an essential to human happiness. As inessential or essential? As essential. Okay, yeah. So she thought that sexual love should be given freely without legal or other motivations. And that individual needs change with time. And that divorce should be readily available. And people shouldn't just stay there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that does admit a few people in that. I think that, like saying it's essential for human happiness kind of discredits a lot of like asexual people completely yes but and also like i always get a bit weary when people say like open love when it's like not now because what some people mean by that is pedophilia and i'm not it's yes oh goodness no (laughs) yeah so but as long as like 
those things <laughs> just didn't cross her mind when she made yeah. that kind of statement, then that's fine. Um, she also fought um, to stop the children of unmarried mothers to be called illegitimate. Ooh. Hmm. That's, yeah, cool. Yeah. It's weird, because you never think about that stopping, but it did at some point. Well, yeah. Kind, I mean, mostly. Kind of. Like, it, like some people still do it. I don't know. Like... Yeah. I think my grandma still has a thing about... Um, one of my cousins was was technically born out of wedlock and it was like a thing and it's not a thing but it was kind of a thing i don't know it's weird yeah so she was very critical of the swedish educational system um and she's called it soul murder (laughs) um wait wait (laughs) what yeah she called it um his like the system of her time was soul murder um, and she thought it was it's sterile religious instruction should be completely abolished um, oh shit okay yeah she thought kindergarten should have been abolished um, and that young sh- children should be taught by their mothers at home and she believed that children should be placed in small groups rather than a big classroom so the teacher could know the personality and individual needs of each pupil I do agree with that but it's it's just not feasible anymore. It's, it's not feasible, no. Um, yeah. There's so many children, and the teachers aren't mm-hmm. paid enough. No. Um, and she said that studies should not be routine, but made attractive to children. Um. Um. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of the whole thing about like, are we teaching them to repeat, or are we teaching them to learn? Kind of argument. Hmm. And she said, no child who was old enough to remember should ever be struck. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, no child. You don't need to put the to remember thing. Just no. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Um, and she liked the ideas of John Ruskin, the writer, um, that school, the competitions in school should be just completely eliminated. Mm-hmm. Um... And, um, yeah, so a lot, because of all of her views, the, she got a lot of, like, rumours made about her and her personal life, so people thought she had an illegitimate child, even though she'd never had a child and she'd never been married. Oh, my God. And she actually had an affair with, um, a guy called Urban von Fieldsen, who was a Swedish literary critic, who she, like, she really admired his ideas. Um, okay. And they had an eleven-year affair, but he was not willing to give up his family and children for her, so that ended. Oh. Okay. Um, she left Sweden for a while to travel around a bit and to just mostly focus on writing. Um, but then after mm-hmm. a few years, she came back to Sweden because she missed it. And then in nineteen ten, she the state granted her property in a government park reservation on the shores of Lake Vatten, where she built her dream home called The Strand. And um, it looked down from its slope through oak and beech and elm to waters of the Great Lake. Oh. And then on the entrance door, it quoted 
Goeth, Goeth, I don't know how you say his name, um, Remember to Live. Oh, that's mm. And she was very hospitable. She welcomed friends and refugees in need of shelter. It's which just was a shame nice. she was into eugenics. I know. <laughs> and during the First World War, she was a pacifist and she used her home as a clearinghouse um, for correspondence from both sides in the conflict. Ooh. Which is interesting. I wonder how that dinner table would have been. <laughs> And then she died on the 25th of April, 1926. I couldn't find out how. Okay. Um, I assume like just natural causes then. Or mm. probably from something that then didn't get called anything. Yeah. And she left the house to be used for working women who might need a temporary retreat for creative work. Oh. And then That's really late. Sweet. I know. Um, and then later... So this, I think the Swedish government changed it to become a haven for impoverished university women. Oh, okay, cool. Mm. So now I'm going to go on to my next person. Right. Who is Mama Borthwick. And so they met in 1909 when Mama was in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And so in 1911, um, she began translating uh, Key's work into English from Swedish. Okay. So her connection to someone famous um, is Frank Lloyd Wright, who you may not know by the sound of it, but he um, he was the architect for the Guggenheim Museum. Oh! Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she was born, Mama Borthwick was born on the 19th of June, 1869 in Boone, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And she earned a BA and an MA at the University of Michigan in 1892 and 93. Which Wait, she took a year to do her MA? I mean, yeah, master's only a year, usually. I thought there were two. Oh, fair enough. Well done. I thought that was really early, though. I didn't think they allowed women in at that point. No. Maybe it's different. I think it was like you could if you studied certain things. Oh right. It doesn't actually say what she studied, so. Uh, so if it's like, um, I think like English and languages were allowed, but All right. um, you couldn't go to study maths. Uh, that's a very basic, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, it was quite yeah. Mhm. Um. So then she worked as a librarian in Port Huron in Michigan, mm-hmm. and then. In 1899, she married someone called Edwin Cheney, who was an electrical engineer from Oak Park, Illinois. And then they had two children together. And so Mama met Frank Lloyd Wright's wife at a social club. Um, And through that connection, um, her husband commissioned Wright to design them a home. But then they ended up um, running away together to Europe. Um, they both left their families in 1909. What? Yes. Incredible. Yeah. So that, that was the point where they, they both met Ellen Key when they were over there. Yeah. Okay. It does say that Frank Lloyd Wright was also instrumental in making her works known to the American audience, but I could not find any evidence of this. 
So I'm pretty sure it was just her. She just translated it. But yeah, obviously it was very scandalous at the time and Frank Lloyd Wright's wife refused to give him a divorce. But Mama Borthwick, her husband, divorced her. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> and like, uh, Wright com- like, could not find any work because no one wanted to work with him. Um, so mean, he yeah. built them... Uh, yeah. So they come back from Europe in like 1910, 1911, and he builds them a home. What? Which him and... is him what? and Mama Bothwick, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's quite a famous home. It's called Talison, which is named after a Welsh poet. Okay. Because I think he has like um, history in France, um, Welsh with his family. Um, okay. So he has to buy the house using his mom has to buy the house for him to avoid scandal. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and he kind of built it so they could both be hidden away from the press, and both sort of like work on their own. <laughs> if everybody knew they were doing it, though, it wasn't very hidden. I know. Yeah. But as if it's in his mom's name, then I guess no one picked up on it. Everybody like your mum is having an affair with her instead. <laughs> Um, so this home was located in Wisconsin and then they both moved in in 1911 and that was the year that she started translating Mm -hmm. but then um, tragedy happened in 1914 so on August 15th um, so Wright was away in Chicago um, working and a male servant who was called Julian Carlton, who was from Barbados, he'd been working there for several, several months and was quite mentally unstable, um, set fire to the living quarters of Talison, and he murdered seven people with an axe well, as um, they fled the burning structure. Oh, uh... Um... Wait, what? So a, yeah. ser- a servant set oh, fire that- to the house. Is that how she d- died? That's how she died. Yeah. So she's only translating for three years. Right. But um. Yeah. Something tells me that she's like. She's known for how she dies. Yes, because so he was waiting outside um, after he set the place on fire with an Mm. axe. So when they were running to get out the burning building, he killed them with an axe. (sighs) Which is horrible. So, um, yeah. So seven people died. So Mama Bothwick was one. Her two children who were visiting her. No. Yeah, and um, a David Lindblom, who was the gardener, a draftsman, a workman, and the son of Wright's carpenter. Um, he was injured, but he survived. And then Thomas Fritz, he he survived everything, and he helped to put out the the fire. But um, oh God. So, Carlton, the the guy who did it, he swallowed muriatic acid immediately after the attack to try and kill Mm -hmm. himself but it didn't work Um, and when he was found he was almost lynched on the spot but 
he was taken to Dodgeville Jail, and then he died seven weeks later um, from starvation. Oh my god. Yeah. But she brought Alan Key's work to the American audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. And she would have done more, but she died. But she was literally axed down. Yeah. Blimey. It was really awful. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Shall we take a break? Yeah, that was a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. We are Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Pline and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system or sharks' digestive systems or how many priests are necessary for an exorcism or the guillotine or how much milk can fit in a shopping cart or how to cook dicks or what it means when your nose itches or penguins or why it's called Scotland Yard or proper body disposal or sentencing or how to make it through an entire episode without saying God. How big does a rock have to be to be a boulder? Or geography. Or whether stingrays have teeth. Or crime in Minnesota. Or how medical parole works. Or why people text their crimes to each other. Or the hierarchy of cops. Or what a paper grabber is. Anything about an Alfred plea. The security at Buckingham Palace. If warrants expire. How to start a fire. How much drugs cost. If ducks would make good guard animals. Whether priests have to tell the police about crimes they are aware of and maybe even involved in. Pink stun guns. How much is 11 pounds of cocaine worth? The mechanics of hanging. What happened to Carla Homolka after her release? How to make a car fly. The colonial parkway killer. Do swans migrate. Marital property laws in Florida. If horses can throw up. Do crocodiles hibernate? What animals can get drunk? How do you get stuck in a window? Sharks live. International flight security. How to get a typewriter into your prison cell? What you shouldn't bring to a robbery. But. We're still crazy for a good true crime story. If you don't know anything about these things either, you should come listen to Crime Crazy. Diana, do you have any advice for us? Yeah, you should subscribe to Crime Crazy. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean or your podcast catcher of choice. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Gmail, or Facebook. Call your people. Yes, call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. Welcome back. Yas. Now it's your so, go. It is. So uh, the person that I'm doing, and you'll be able to kind of guess the famous link straight away, is Rosemary Kennedy. Mmm. Mmm. Wait. Yeah. No, because he, he... No, JFK married... Um, what's her name? The one, Jackie Kennedy. So yeah, he did. Who's Rosemary? Is that his... <laughs> Sister or his mother? <laughs> I say, I hope you're aware that you can be related to people in more ways than just, like, matrimonial. <laughs> um, so, um, Rosemary is his sister. So, the Kennedys are a big family. Mm-hmm. So, she's yes. actually called Ro- Rosemary, but everybody's called her Rosemary, and she's written in, like, everything as Rosemary. Um, so, she was the eldest daughter, but the third born um, in the kennedy family so her older mm-hmm. her two older brothers was joseph jr and then john so then john obviously becomes jfk so then there was rosemary then there was kathleen then eunice then patricia then robert oh then jean and then ted <laughs> and then um yeah so that's yeah there was nine of them i think if i've counted that correctly which is I potentially is this the sister 
that JFK is quite close to? Because I know there's one. Potentially. Because okay. in all kind of articles about her, so about Rosemary, yes, she is the sister that he's close to, but it's also very possible that other articles would be... I'll explain later, because it, it gets a bit complicated. Okay, okay so um, she was born um, on September 13th, 1918, and she was the mm. um, eldest daughter, third born, to Joseph F... Joseph P. Kennedy and mm-hmm. Rose Kennedy. So... They both just gave their kids their own names, which I have a thing about. Um, so, <laughs> and obviously, this is the family that then had obviously the president, and then also had mm-hmm. senators um, Robert F. Kennedy and Ted Kennedy. So the Kennedys have been like a very famous family for uh, yeah. a few. I think it was like two generations before um, this specific family, which probably since Patrick Joseph Kennedy was elected in 1884. Um, for mm. the yeah so it's they've kind of they've always been kind of in the political mm-hmm. field um, and they still are so Joseph Kennedy the third I just why do you keep naming your kids <laughs> Joseph um, uh, was elected into the House of Representatives in oh, I should have looked this up in 2000 and I think it was 18 mm. so like they're still there and in 2020 so yes this year um he lost the primary election um, in Massachusetts um, and it was the first time that um, a Kennedy had ever lost in that state. Oh, wow. I'm sure he'd be yeah. disappointed his family. I know, yeah. <laughs> so back to uh, Rosemary. She was born in Massachusetts and she was named after her mum. When she was born, there were like complications with her birth. So mm-hmm. she was stuck in the birth canal for two hours and it's... Like, there would have been, like, less oxygen to the brain. Yeah. For that amount of time. So, and when Mm. then she was kind of growing, she was, like, developing later than was usual for babies too. So Mm -hmm. she learned how to, like, sit up and then how to walk later. I think it was, like, a month later than she actually should have done. And her parents, like, noticed this. Um, And on top of this, then, when she went to... um, school she was then struggling there as well um Mm -hmm. and it was suspected that she was like probably suffering from a disability at the time but because of who the kennedy family were they just they didn't want to kind of talk about it so even like rose herself wouldn't confide in anybody and just told people that she like that her daughter was fine even though she was like struggling with these things Mm. So her mum would um, like pay for tutors to come and see her, but her, progress- but her progression was, um, you know, still not great. So when she was eleven, she was sent to Pennsylvania for uh, to a school that specialised in special needs. Mm-hmm. And then after that, and when she was fifteen, she was then sent to another school in Rhode Island, which I think was a mainstream school, but she was like educated completely on her own um, at this school, mm-hmm. which. It it sounds I don't know like it sounds almost cruel to do that. Be like yeah, yeah yeah go away to learn but also like you can't be near any other kids your age. So if and you then, didn't do that like do it at home. You are. If you're gonna like separate them to just be on their own, just do it at home rather at home, than send yeah. them to a school to do it. But I don't think they even wanted her in the house. This is so sad. 
it is it's gonna get a bit sadder i'm sorry well a lot sadder Mm. i'm sorry um so but also like to pay for all of this the kennedy family just gave the school a new tennis i bought them a new tennis court and said it was fine um Mm. but rosemary just still wasn't improving because she just couldn't grasp it so Mm. but john would like spend a lot of time like visiting her um like her older brother john and and they used to go i think like go to dance classes and stuff like that and he said that like separate from her education she was fine Mm. it was just and she was like she was able to like grasp other things she just couldn't do those basic like things that everybody kind of cared about so uh they really kind of pushed her to be immersed in society to so she because she was keeping a diary um she would go to the opera uh she'd go to dancers Mm. dress fittings um and she went with her family to the coronation of pope i should have looked up how to pronounce this pious the 12th uh she was like you know kept in quite a bit of detail about the people that she'd met and the places that she'd been and so her parents could they would be interviewed obviously because they had all these kids and they'd say like so what do your kids want to do when they're older and her Mm. dad would tell people that she was training to be a teacher my god and her mum would tell people you are why would you do that if she's not doing that (laughs) I think they just did not want to kind of admit that she wasn't perfect. It's just, it's, it but annoys me so much. Isn't she the, like, one of ten children? Yeah, one they of nine. They could have just talked about someone else. Someone else, I know. Um, and her mum uh, would tell people that she was, like, training to go on stage and be a, an entertainer. So, mm. and when they would then ask Rosemary, she had to just recite um, a script that her dad had given her that was basically saying that, like, yes, she was being trained to become a teacher for kindergarten and things like that. Aww. I know, it's so annoying. But because, uh, obviously, she was still the eldest girl, uh, she would still kind of be um, like, taken with them to places and make appearances. So she was presented to George the Sixth and Queen Elizabeth, um, when you know went with her parents uh, when they went to visit, she practiced curtsying for hours, but still tripped. But <laughs> no one really noticed. Like people said that mm. like um, the king and queen just kind of like smiled, and it was all kind of done mm. away with. But I think her parents took it as a, a great thing that she tripped up because it meant that again she just not quite met their expectations. So that was in um 1938 and i think the family then actually lo- like relocated to england for a bit mm-hmm. and she actually settled in really well hmm. because the limelight was completely different so in mm-hmm. like the british public eye we loved her so the media loved her she was presented at court she was like you know beautiful so she caught a lot of eyes um and she also she started getting having a form of education that was like slowed down so that she was actually able mm. to kind of grasp stuff as if but our then, country was the one to do that i know when i was reading this i was like <laughs> wait they are talking about like our king right <laughs> but then um but yeah it was george the sixth so he was yeah mm. he, oh he probably yeah i'm gonna yeah but then because the war broke out then obviously in like mm. uh, 1939 so joseph was a nazi sympathizer still a nazi mm. um and so they had to move back to the states mm. and here rosemary kind of 
is it like regressed she um became irritable she became angry her studies weren't going well um but she was also like 22 at this time so like most Mm. 22 year olds i know become a bit more irritable at this point um and she would uh, she was expelled from uh, a summer camp that she was attending and so her family just sent her to a convent in washington dc oh my god i can't believe you could still do that in like 1940 right like they just she do she do something so they'd be like just banished like gone and we don't have to look at you it's it's infuriating but then in like washington surprise surprise like she was still a person so she was still doing things but um she would be like caught sneaking out uh she'd be caught i think with like gentlemen friends and all the nuns at the convent were like the shame the sex no Mm. so all of this basically meant that her dad (laughs) turned around and went i know a lobotomy oh goodness that's not gonna go well is it um no um, he thought it, that it might, in quotes, fix her. It fixed her mood swings and, uh, like, she'd be able to, like, function better. So... To, like, a human, that might work. I, right, yeah. Mm. And also, maybe she's just a bit rebellious. But, so, I don't quite understand the timelining of this, but I know that um, Rose, that her, Rosemary's mother, was, like, told that lobotomies were a thing. And had uh, told Kathleen, Rosemary's younger sister, to kind of, like, look Mm -hmm. into them. Um, And Kathleen was, like, so horrified by what she had found out. She, like, begged her parents just to not even consider it. Mm. But Joseph, the wanker, went ahead with it, but didn't tell Rose. (sighs) And I don't think he even told Rosemary that this was going to happen to her. What, did they just... What, did they... They can't knock you out. You only have to be awake. She was awake the whole the whole time, yeah. But it's, like, speculated whether she actually kind of understood what was oh, happening right. or why. So when... Uh, so in 1941, when she was 23 years old, they cut open her skull and put in a butter knife, or the equivalent of... And just kind of, like, swirled it around a bit. It's had a bit of a play inside her brain. That's what lobotomies do. Oh, God. They're just... Who would ever think that is a good idea? I don't know. Yeah, I remember watching a... um, Yeah, it's weird. It was a documentary about the lobotomy, and specifically the ice pick lobotomy. And... The guy in it, the doctor whose name I've forgotten, who mm. kind of had come up with it and was like the best at, at giving them, was so kind of like proud of his work and he was like horrified when then, um, I think it was called like the medical lobotomy, which was then like drugs, which were kind of helping people came about. He was like, you don't need them because my work is fantastic. Mm. And there was a scene in the documentary when he was like, look, look at all these Christmas cards I've been sent from past patients and then like there's a harrowing moment when all these christmas cards fall open and that they're just not even written in it's just lines because the pa- mm. these patients have just been like damaged so badly that they can't even form mm. words anymore i know it's just oh, harrowing yeah. so I heard, didn't um, he like um used to go to visit all these like mental institutions 
And then as soon as something would go wrong, he'd skip town. Yeah. And just go to his next one. And wasn't the eye yeah. skip one where they do it through the eye? Yes. Yeah. Ugh. If you've watched um, Ratchet recently, um, it's, they it. do it in that. Um, uh, fair mm. enough. Um, but they actually do it in that. They Yeah, they get a little little ice pick uh, that you use in your freezer and they put it above. This won't work for audible listen oh, to, listeners goodness. because it's like, uh, but they put it. <laughs> above and around the back of the eye and then they get a little hammer and they just kind of lightly tap it because your skull is the thinnest behind your eye like obviously out here it's really thick whereas behind your eye it's really thin so just a gentle tap and it would crack the skull that was behind your eye and then they could like have a little bit of a play and then they pull it out and then there would be no like bleeding out yeah no thank you I mean, I wasn't suggesting <laughs> that we that we go for like Group joint lobotomy sessions. <laughs> so um, during Rosemary's lobotomy, they asked her the whole time to either recite the Lord's Prayer or sing "God Bless America" or count backwards, which mm. all sounds hell, and I would struggle with every single one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, if someone had said like, do any of these three things, I'd be like, I'll do the count backwards, but like. I might get a bit lost. Um, <laughs> and they basically, they were kind of seeing how far they could go. If they got too deep into her head, then they would stop. Mm, and God. when she became incoherent and she stopped speaking, then they stopped. Truly, that's a sign. It's too late. Yeah. So after that, Rosemary was left in such a state that she was incoherent, she couldn't speak, she couldn't walk, and she could not take care of herself any longer. God, I hate people. Hmm. And when they asked the doctor about it, right, the doctor turned around and said, well, it's because the lobotomy, this specific uh, form, was for people who had um, mental retardation which issues um yeah. but it's like it's rosemary probably didn't even have that she probably just no. had depression yeah and so he was like well that's why it didn't work because i was trying to cure the wrong thing it's like you still like cut into someone's brain not knowing what you were doing oh my god Do you want to hazard a guess as to how her parents, well, her dad, then coped with this? Shipped her off somewhere and never, like, spoke to her again. Literally. First, they, he put her in a hospital um, in North New York uh, City and then mm. later moved her to a permanent resident uh, residency um, at the school, uh, a school in Wisconsin called St. Coletta's, which, uh, like, homed over 300 um, students who had, a like, a variety of disabilities. Mm-hmm. Her dad paid for her to live in a private accommodation on the grounds there as well, mm-hmm. which they called the Kennedy Cottage, so she would have no interaction with any of the other patients. Um, and she would be looked after by two nuns, mainly, um, who were there. She was given a car so that people could drive her around. And she was given a dog so that she could take it on walks. 
Rose found out after the procedure had taken place and did not go visit Rosemary for 20 years while she was in this place. What a horrible mother. Joseph never visited her. I hope he died a really horrific, painful death. It's awful, isn't it? And the rest of the family, all of her siblings never knew. Well, didn't know for 20 years later. My God. So, yeah. So whilst um, John was campaigning uh, for re-election to the Senate in uh, 19... 58 um it was like asked where she was and it they just Mm. said that she was a recluse so that's why she wasn't anywhere and it wasn't until 1961 where they told the press that she was in quotes mentally retarded and so she had to be institutionalized and so around this time i think it was that joseph had a stroke that made him unable to speak so that the family so the family were then told kind of what had happened but it wasn't until 1987 when the general public found out. So it happened in 1941. It wasn't until 1987 when the general public found out what he had done to his daughter. Jesus. Yeah. So Joseph died in 1969. I didn't kind of look up how because I, I was like, as soon as I can get him off my research, I'm happy. Yeah. And so, but after he died, basically the rest of the family were then allowed to have contact with Rosemary. Before that, he had just banned any contact. So they were kind of told what had happened and they were allowed to have contact. And when Rosemary first saw her mother for the first time in 20 years, apparently she like lashed out. She should. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. But also she, all of her siblings then got kind of really involved. Uh, John went to go see her like loads uh, and her sisters did as well. Uh, She would be taken kind of from there to go visit her other relatives. Um, She kind of, she'd learnt to walk again. She had like a limp and it it wasn't great, but she had learned to walk again, but she never learnt to speak again after what had happened. Um, And... Because obviously, like, her siblings had now found a place um, in their own political kind of um, climate, it meant that they now had the power to enforce laws that would prevent this from ever happening to anybody else. That's good. Yeah. So, um, she survived until 2005. Oh my goodness. Yeah, when on the 7th of January, um, she died of natural causes at aged 86. And at the time, uh, obviously because um, this was after, you know, the, the both assassinations mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, um, she was survive, uh, survived by Jean, Eunice, uh, sorry, Eunice, Patricia and Ted, and they were all by her side when she died. Mm. I know. I'm just... I was just thinking, though, like, if she, like, her mental, like, her, if she can still think normally, but, like, she'd lost, like, she couldn't speak, and, like, I don't know if she could still write in that, but, because, like, in Infinite Jest, there's a whole bit where he's in agonizing pain, but he's in a coma, and he can hear everything that's going on, but he can't tell anyone he's in pain, and no one can do anything about it. I just really hope that that wasn't the case. I know. I I kind of hope that she was in kind of such a state that 
she wasn't aware of how badly it had got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also thought it would be interesting to because it's considered like you've heard of the Kennedy curse, right? No. What's this? What? Right. You've never heard of the Kennedy curse. You've heard I don't think um, so. the Vampire Weekend song, right? Where it goes, "You've got the look of a Kennedy." Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because of the Kennedy curse, and so there is like the supposed curse on the this Kennedy family. And so I was like, right, this definitely plays into it. And it, it kind of does. Um, it was probably one of the first things that happened. So I made a list. And so to begin with, I was like, this will be an entertaining list to just see how many um, people were affected in the Kennedy family. Mm-hmm. And then I just got really, really sad as I was writing this list. So in 1941, you have Rosemary's Lobotomy. In 1948, Joseph Jr. died when a naval bomber he was piloting uh, exploded mid-flight. Oh my God. In 1948, the same year, Kathleen died in a plane crash. Wow. In 1963, Patrick Boover Kennedy, uh, the son of JFK, died in infancy. Oh. In 1963, same year, um, John was then killed. In 1964, Ted nearly uh, nearly died when he his plane crashed, um, but he did survive. He survived internal bleeding and a punctured lung. Oh my god! I know. Uh, in 1968, Robert was then killed. In 1984, mm. Robert's son David died of an overdose. In 1997, Robert's son Michael died from a skiing accident. In 1999, John's son, John Jr., and his wife and sister-in-law all died in a plane crash. Oh, my God. In 2011, Ted's daughter, Cara Kennedy, had a heart attack. In 2012, former wife of Robert Jr., Mary Richard Kennedy, commuted suicide. In 2018, son of Patricia, Christopher Kennedy Lawford... Uh, died of a heart attack. In 2019, the granddaughter of Robert, Saoirse Kennedy Hill, died of a drug overdose. And in 2020, in April, Robert's granddaughter, Maeve Kennedy McKean, and her eight-year-old son, Gideon Joseph Kennedy McKean, went missing after a canoe trip where they didn't return and their bodies were, um, were then found later. Oh my god. I can't believe I've never heard of that. That's awful. I, I, I have no idea. And I, I was like, that's... like, But then, so, I was looking at the list. So that's mainly people who have died. The list of people who almost died, because these people had run-ins where they, like, they, you know, could have died before that, or, like, where they survived, but other people in the planes that crashed didn't. This feels like Final Destination, but just for the Kennedy family. It's ridiculous. Like, it's it's tragic and it's absolutely awful. But I do feel somehow that, like, I don't know, you know, like in Holes, when the Yelnats family are, like, so unlucky because they didn't carry Madame Zeroni yeah. up the hill. It feels kind of like something happened. But I do, I do, and I'm not, like, all for, like, curses and, like, ghosty stuff because if I mm. was, it'd scare me too much. But I do think this must be some kind of payback for what Joseph did to Rosemary because that was the first incident. 
And then after yeah. that, all this happens. Yeah. It's... Mm, I mean, yeah. It's the evidence is there. Oh, my goodness. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. I say I started that list as a bit of a thing, and then I just got really, really sad, especially when it came to April 2020. And yeah. an eight-year-old boy died. I thought you were going to say Corona. No, it didn't mention coronavirus in the list. Um, maybe one of them has got coronavirus. I don't know, but um, we didn't mention them. So yeah, that was the oh. spooky, spooky. Mm. Perfect for Halloween. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, hopefully this will be coming up, be- just before Halloween. I think a few few yeah. days before. Hopefully, if I'm on my my stuff and I can get it uploaded in time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah that, That's that been the episode An axe murder and a family curse Fun My goodness mm. Yeah <laughs> Which is purely accidental as well We only meant know, to research yeah, didn't like... plan this. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, But they both ended tragically Like awfully Yeah Yeah Do you have um, any recommendations This episode Um well, I was gonna say I, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it before or not. The the film called Shirley about Shirley Jackson. Yes. Is it Elizabeth mentioned Moss? It I think. Yes, it's really good. I really liked it. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I do want to watch it. Um, mm. So, and I just finished um, the new season. Um, well, the new season, the like spin-off season from Hill House, which, Manor. again is also yeah. amazing. Do you know that's uh, entirely based off Turn of the Screw? The Bly Manor one, yeah, yeah. Like I was watching yeah. it because there's a film called The Innocence, mm-hmm. and um, like everything that happens in it was just literally it's the same as this film, which is all is all like Turn of the Screw. Literally, the whole manor looks the same, the lake, everything. Whoa. Okay, now I'm gonna um, yeah have to read the turn of the screw. And it's a novella, so I'm because I've only seen oh, the first seen episode sure. so far. So it's I was like, how did they really drag good. it out for like nine they... episodes? So there's like so the the main kind of like plot happens, but then in the middle of the series, they kind of have, I'd say three or four episodes that are dedicated to explanation and backstory, which works mm. fantastically. Um. But you kind of are taken out of, like, the main kind of... Because um, for the first few episodes, you're like, okay, we're in this we're in this train. Um, but then mm. things kind of slow down a bit and you're, like, piecing it together. Um, but it is fantastic. Um, mm. But, yeah. I was also... I was going to mention, there's a book called The Five. I haven't read it yet, but it's about, like, all the women killed by <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Oh, Jack the Ripper, yes. I've seen reviews about that and people have said it's very, very good. Mm, yeah but yeah it's on theme <laughs> that's yes well because um so i kind of got a list rather than just one person so mm-hmm. because it is um spooky season <clears throat> i listen to a lot of audiobooks at work in the morning so i've been listening to uh, a lot of susan hill and um re-listen to frankenstein by mary shelley so obviously mm. go and listen to them if you haven't like like read anything by them 
Um, but yep. also, of course, Shirley Jackson as well is mm. a fantastic uh, spooky writer who you should go and read. As well, like Daphne du Maurier, which I read mm. like beginning of the year. Go and read her work because it's very spooky, but also really good. As well, I'm kind of trying to think of like as many as I can think of that kind of fit. Go read um, Beloved by Toni Morrison. Um, mm mm-hmm. As well, um, any work of Octavia Butler and um, Helen, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Ayemi, I think it is. Mm -hmm. But, like, go and, like, discover their works because they're all brilliant. And just, like, read a few and get spooky. It's great. Mm -hmm. Try and scare yourself. If this episode didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. It scared me. But, no. Mm. Um, So, yeah. That's the list. Mm. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.